Happy New Year. But when we start the new year, we got to start off with something new. What is something on our hearts? What is something we want to share and look into the new year? And a couple of weeks ago, as I was doing my quiet time, and as I was reading, something struck my heart. And I'm going to share that with you guys this morning. And I hope that it will be encouraging to you. And I hope that you will find it helpful throughout this year. It's actually pretty interesting. It comes from Paul's letter to the, the church in Ephesus. It's in Ephesians. It comes in chapter 2, and as we look at Ephesians, we know that Ephesians was a letter that Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus about this church gathering and this church rules. And in chapter 2, Paul starts it off reminding those in Ephesus about the grace of God. And then after about the first, about verse 11, he starts describing the church. And when Paul is talking about the church, he's not talking about brick and mortar. He's not talking about, what do you want me to do? Let's get back to the word. Let's get back to Paul. Let's get back to Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus and Ephesians. Back to chapter 2. Paul starts off with the grace of God that we see in first, about the first 10 verses. Then chapter 11, he starts, or excuse me, verse 11 of chapter 2, he starts to talk about the church. And not brick and mortar church, but people church. The actual bricks of the church, the stones. Not the cornerstone, because that's Jesus, but the rest of it, which is us. It's, it's believers. And he describes... Uh, who we were before Christ started to work in our life. He, he describes what Christ has done, and he describes who we are now as part of the church. And we often overlook this part because we focus on the greater context of this message, and we should always do that. And the context that Paul is speaking about is the church. And so when we look at Ephesians 2, that's what we think of. We think of the church and it's important when we look at Scripture, we don't take things out of context, right? They're, they're in context for a reason. They mean something, so we need to understand the context of what we're studying. And sometimes we can overlook things, and we can see the forest, and we can say, oh, that's beautiful, but we overlook the individual tree, and we miss some of the beauty that is found in the tree. We miss some of the small intricacies of a, a forest, and so today what we're going to do is we're going to dial it back a little bit. And instead of looking at the church and talking about the church, we're going to zoom in and look at a brick. Specifically you. If you're a believer in Christ and you're part of the church, we're going to look at who you are and what Jesus has done in your life. And as I read this passage, I was so encouraged and my, my heart was rested in the peace that comes when I am reminded of who I am in Christ. So that's my hope for you this morning as we look through this passage. Right, as the years continue to be crazier and crazier and crazier, there appears to be no end to the amount of craziness we can jam into a year. But I want to share with you some of the peace that the Holy Spirit has given me. And my prayer for you this year, my prayer for this church, this local body of church, is that you would enjoy the peace that comes by remembering who you are because of what Christ did for you. So we're going to go ahead and start looking at this. Let's begin where Paul begins in chapter 2, verse 11. And when we look at this passage, Paul now, he begins this and he's talking about who you were. It begins like this in verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, 
and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And I think this is super important that we keep things in context. So as we look at this passage for the next few minutes in verse 11, it is very, very clear that Paul is talking to Gentiles. Right? When we hear things like the uncircumcision, it makes it clear that Paul is specifically talking about Gentiles. So if you are here and, and you have Jewish descent and you are Jewish, you are probably thinking, this isn't for me. Right? Paul's not talking to me. This is for those people. This is for those disgusting Gentile people. Now, if we're being honest, that is a similar reaction that the original hearers of this letter has. And we're going to, Paul's going to address that later. So if that's you, just hold on to those thoughts. We're going to address them in just a, a few minutes. But for now, for the rest of us, for us Gentiles, Paul paints this pretty bleak picture of who we were. Look, look how he describes us in verse 12. He says, you were separated from Christ. That, that literally means you're without Christ. Christ is not with you. He is not in you. He is apart from you. Then it gets better. He says, you're alienated from the commonwealth of, um, what did I miss? Commonwealth of Israel. That we are outsiders. Right? That we're not even part of the group. That we are seen as outsiders. We're alienated from. We're not even welcome to be with them. And then he goes on to say that we were strangers to the covenants of promise. Right? Not only God's promises of land that he made to the Israelites or the, the promise of many descendants that he made to the Israelites, but we're out of the promise of God's blessing that he made to the Israelites. These people were not to inherit the kingdom of God. They, they will not spend eternity in the glory of the Holy One. He says that we have no hope and that we are without God. He actually said it really nice in this letter. We see that in a letter to the, the churches he wrote in, in Corinth, he's, he was a little bit more direct. He said this, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revivalers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And who's he talking about? Us. Who's he? He's talking about us. One of the most humbling sentences in, in the Bible follows that. It says, as such were some of you. So when he gave that list, he's talking about us. He's talking about the people that he's writing to the letter to. Happy New Year! Right? Ha- Happy New Year. Have a, have a great year filled with hopelessness. Right? Have a great year of despair as you wallow in your filthiness. Happy New Year. I'm here to bring encouragement. But... Right? When we continue reading scripture, it says, and such were some of you. But, man, that is one of the greatest words in scripture. Throughout scripture, our failures and our sinfulness is met with those three letters. But, right? But God. But the grace of God. But the work of God. And in this letter that Paul wrote to the churches in Corinthians, he continues. Right? Verse 11, it says, and such were some of you. But, underline that but, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Hallelujah. 
right? Praise God. And in, in the passage that we're looking at this morning, Paul describes who we were, that we were all of these people, that we were separated from Christ, that we were alienated from Israel, that we were strangers to the promise, that we have no hope and that we are without God. And then in verse 13, Paul says one of my favorite words in scriptures, but, but, and then he continues with the work of God that was accomplished in our lives. And as we pick up in verse 13, Paul says this, but, Now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the wall of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body, through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. So those who were far off were the Gentiles and those who were near were the Jews. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So Paul starts it off by saying who we were. And in verse 13 he switches and he says, okay, now let's, let's look what Jesus has done. And first, before we go any further in this, there's something that we need to look at. Paul does a huge shift in his subject pronouns. So if you're not an English major, and I had to look this up myself, that's who he's talking about. Right? So he goes through a huge shift here. He starts talking about you and they to me and we. And this is important as we look at this passage. Right? Not, Not only do the Gentiles need to be reconciled to God, but all, right, including the Jews, but all who fall short of the glory of God need to be reconciled to God. And so Paul shifts, being a Jew himself, he shifts here. Right, before it was you Gentiles and now it's us, it's all of us need to be reconciled. Both Jews and Gentiles have the same hope, Jesus Christ. Both Jews and Gentiles are reconciled the same way to God, Jesus Christ. By the shedding of his blood, Christ reconciled all of us, all of us, so you got Jews and everybody else is called Gentiles, all Jews and Gentiles have been reconciled to God. Everybody who has fallen short of the glory of God, that means you can't make God, that means you're falling short of being with God, have been reconciled by Jesus Christ to be with God. And when we look at the cross, we see that the cross reconciles us in two ways. It reconciles us horizontally. That's with one another. That's within the church. That's with our brothers and sisters. And it also reconciles us vertically, and that's between us and God. So let's just look at a few minutes of what Paul tells us Christ accomplished on the cross. On the cross, Jesus united us with our other Christians, right? He reconciled us to one another. Church, let me just let you in on a little secret here. The world will try to divide us. The world will try to divide everything. The gospel unites us. The gospel brings us together. In the scripture it says, in his flesh he has broken down the dividing walls of hostility. And this passage I've already shared with you, it's specifically speaking to Gentiles and Jews. Right? They were the worst of enemies. They had nothing ever in common. And they tried really, really hard to keep it that way. Right? You stay over there and we stay over here. And they really liked having their separation from each other. 
And even when the Gentiles came to Christ, the Jews said, eh, you're like kind of. Right? You're not really one of us. You're kind of like half, but you're not us. We don't like you. And so they tried to maintain their separation. They tried to maintain their distinction. They tried to keep separated from the Gentile believers. And they created these human walls between God's people. Walls that Christ never spoke of. Walls that we never find in Scripture. But somehow we can take man's traditions and skillfully build these walls of division. And these differences between them, they created hostility. They created a sense of superiority. They created this fictitious caste system. You know, we always talk about the unwritten rules and it was filled with them. And Paul, in this letter, he addresses this. He says, stop, 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 stop. No matter what your differences are, Christ united you, right? He died for your sins. Each of you have life because of what Christ did, not because of anything that you have done. So before he's talking to the Gentiles, but now Paul says, hey, Jews, let's have a little conversation here. Right? Let's talk about now. Right? The law doesn't save you. Your traditions don't save you. Your works don't save you. Jesus and Jesus alone saves you. Jews and Gentiles alike, Jesus is the only one who can save you. Christ, who died for our sins, was buried and rose on the third day, conquering death and defeating sin, ultimately is the only one who gives life. And God takes these two people, he takes these Jews and these Gentiles that have nothing in common, and he makes them one body, right? He makes them one church through his work on the cross. In this parallel passage found in Galatians, Paul writes this in Galatians. Um, He says, for in Christ Jesus you were all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. It's because of what Christ did, not because of what we have done. It's because of the work of Christ that we are reconciled. And this year, I want you, church, to remember the work that Christ did on the the cross so you would be reconciled to one another. Right? The, The cross of Christ brought together Jews and Gentiles. It can surely be the means of rec- uh, reconciliation for, for those presently divided by ethnicity or nationality or upbringing or economic status or any other earthly wall that we would want to wrongly separate us. Any other kind of wall we would like to build between us and our brothers and sisters in Christ. If there is one thing that we are good at, we are really good at building up walls. We're really good at building up fences. We're really good at separating ourselves. We're really good at thinking um, How am I better than you? That is something we have become experts at. We do it in all types of ways, but the cross of Jesus brings unity to those who meet at the foot of the cross. For all of us are on a level field when we come to the foot of the cross and we look up and we see our Savior who died for us. When we realize the grace of our Savior has nothing ever to do with anything of who we are or what we have done. But who we are in Christ has everything to do with what Christ has done. 
Christ died for us. And he died for the brother and sister that's sitting next to you right now. And he died for the, the brother and sister that's in another country on the other side of the world. And he died for that relationship. And are we going to fight? Are we going to try to separate that relationship? Because we want to fight over crazy things. We want to fight about how the rapture will happen. We want to fight about how old the earth really is or what food or drink we can consume. Our Savior died to unite us, but we keep trying to find ways to divide us. That's just crazy. That's absolutely crazy. I love how the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, he had a, he had a way with preachers. He's called the Prince of Preachers, right? But he, I love the way that he responded when he was asked about preachers who preach on non-essential doctrines and who stand on soapboxes other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Spurgeon said this, He who lifted up Christ would have offended me had he preached some other part of his creed. Had he talked about some doctrine which I hold to be erroneous, he and I had differed, but when it comes to this, he, and he's speaking about Jesus, he loved me and gave himself for me. He is the chiefest among 10,000, the altogether lovely. His blood is precious. I feel inclined to cry, brother, keep to that, praise him louder, give him all the honor. It is Christ that unifies us. It is Christ's work on the cross that brings us together. On the cross, Christ put to death the hostility between Israel and all the other nations. He also put to death the hostility between us and each other, between us and all other believers, unifying us into one body, one family, one nation. Right, The blood of Christ should unify us more than our preferences or our difference or our culture or even our personalities that try to separate us the night before jesus went to the cross do you know what he prayed he prayed that all those that believe in his word all those that are believers all those that have put their faith in jesus that all those that believe in his word all be as one our own savior prayed for our unity our own Savior prayed for us as he walked to the cross. And on that cross, he reconciled all brothers and sisters, all believers. He reconciled us so that we could be one. And as we read this passage, we see Paul speak to this new unified group. So he's told the Jews, he's told the Gentiles, okay, you're one, you're one body. And as we look through the scripture, we see now Paul is saying that this one body is being unified and it's being brought near to God. Paul describes Christ's reconciliation very vividly as killing the hostility that stood in the way and not only peace with each other, but also our peace with God. So on the cross, we know that Christ gave us access to the Father. By by the blood that we see in verse 13, through the cross that we see in verse 16, we are reconciled to God. Through Jesus' saving death on the cross, we are brought near to God We are given access to the Father. We are given permission to stand at the feet of the throne. We are given access to the choir that will sing holy, holy, holy forever and all eternity. And as we look back on God's great love for us, when we were his enemies, right? When we were his enemies, but, and there it is again, but God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? Christ died for us so that we could be called the sons and daughters of the king. And knowing that he loved us enough to die for us when we were his enemies, 
we can be confident that he will love and care for us so much more now that we are his children. And through his reconciliation, there is now. And this is so important, church. There is now. He reconciles us now. We don't have to wait till we die and go to heaven. We don't have to wait until the final judgment. But there is rejoicing and there is peace found now that is only found in a reconciled relationship with the Father. And we can have that peace now. To draw near to God and to enjoy him forever in a new creation is both mankind's greatest good and the ultimate accomplishment of Christ's earthly work of redemption, of Christ's um, work of reconciliation. It is his work, it is what he has done that allows us to say he himself is our peace. It is his work that provides a way for us to have a harmonious relationship and fellowship, not only with each other in the church, but also with God. It is his work that allows us to be at peace with God, to be in a state of grace and rejoicing, a a way of living that is both joyful and peaceful. And it's because of the work that he has done on the cross. We don't have to earn our way to be in right relationship with God. Jesus already did that. We we don't have to figure out how to gain acceptance to the church because Jesus already accepted it, us. This is his church. This isn't our church or, or, or the city's church. This is God's church and he has accepted us. Church, I would hate to continue to be the bearer of bad news on New Year's Day, but here is the truth. All of your failures and faults are so great that you just wear yourself out trying to think of how you'll just cover them up. Not even fix them. Just cover them up so that the rest of the church will accept you or love you. You're never, you're never going to do that. right? Let's not even talk about what you would need to do so that you could stand in the presence of a holy God. I'll give you the short answer. You don't stand a chance. It ain't, it ain't happening. But Jesus has done it. But Jesus has done the work. If you remember verse 13, it begins this section. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. So we don't have to worry about those things. We don't have to deal with them because Christ took care of them on the cross. Church, this year, just take a minute and just enjoy time with your heavenly Father. Jesus has already done the heavy lifting. He's already done the hard work. There's nothing like letting somebody else do the hard work and you get a benefit by doing nothing. But Jesus did it. I remember one time we had moved and the moving date had been delayed for various reasons. And just so happened the new moving date that the truck was going to show up to our house was a day that I had an important meeting I had to go to. And at that meeting, Melissa had to come because literally we had a couple families that were going to the, the middle of Africa for an extended period of time. And so she was there as part of a family and we were talking about all these crazy things like where are we going to get food, where are we going to get water, how safe is it. And the only thing I could think of was like, I got a moving truck at my house, I don't care. Right? I got a lot of work to do. Right? Nobody knows where to put that stuff. Melissa's not there to tell them. I'm not there to tell them. So the, the deal was the, the movers were just going to put all that junk in the garage and leave. And that night, Melissa and I were going to try to find a bed to sleep on. That was the plan. 
And we sat at this meeting forever. It would never, never, never end. And the only thing I could think about was this is going to be such a long night. And as Melissa just shared with some of the people, I like to go to bed early, right? I didn't even make it to the East Coast New Year's last night, right? But I, <laughs> I like to go to bed early. And this is all I'm thinking is like, oh my gosh, we got to put all this stuff away. We got to unpack this. We got to find tools. We got to, you guys all have moved. You know what it's like. And when we get home from the meeting, the truck is gone and our garage is empty. My brother and our real estate agent's husband had told those movers where to put everything. The, the real estate agent, she'd walked through that house several times with Melissa and I. She knew which rooms were going to be uh, the master room. She knew what room we were going to put sail in. She knew what room Isaac was going to be in. Max didn't exist at this time. Right? And so she walked through with, her, with the movers and said, hey, I need you to put this stuff here. And my brother and her husband put together beds. It was awesome. Everything was done. Everything was in the proper rooms. And that night, guess what we did? We had dinner and we fellowshiped with the family. We hung out with my brother and his families. Church, the work is done, right? When Christ was on the cross and he yelled to Telestai, it is finished, it's over. All that work is done. Jesus did the work. He reconciled every single one of your faults. Every single one of your failures he made right. He made all, all that was wrong between you and God, all that was wrong between you and everybody around you and everybody in your family and everybody at work, he made it all right. And he reconciled every single one. He made all that was right between you and you and you and you and God. He made it all right. Every single one. Christ did the work on the cross. And here's the deal. Because of what Christ did on the cross, everything changed. Right? Everything changed. He changed everything. But most importantly, he changed us. Which takes us to this last verse in this passage we're going to look at today. Right? Paul tells him that this is who you are now in verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Something's changed. If you remember verse 12, it says that we were separated from Christ. In verse 12, we were completely without Christ. When we look at verse 13, it now says that now you are in Christ. Right? We have fellowship with our Savior. We have a relationship with our Savior. Something has changed. In verse 12, it says that we were outsiders to God's people. We were aliens. We weren't even welcomed. In verse 19, it says you are now fellow citizens, that you are part of a holy nation. I want you to look at how Peter describes this. Listen to how he uses this truth to inspire some other Christians that were struggling, maybe being persecuted. They were separated. They were were facing the craziness of the world, wondering who they were and who they belonged to. And Peter brings this truth up to him in his letter. He says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And we're part of a glorious nation called God's people. Finally, in verse 12, it tells us that we are strangers to the covenants of the promise. 
But verse 19 says, but through the work of Christ, we are now members of the household of God. We're now part of the family. We're in. We are no longer strangers, but we are sons and we are daughters to the one true and holy king. Now, family can look different. We all know that. If you look at different families, you see different things, and that looks, plays itself out differently. In Melissa's family, she has three sisters. So that means that you talk two to three times a week, and you text 75 to 100 times a day. That's how that works. In my family with two brothers, you call when there's a problem. That's when you talk. I remember uh, if I don't hear from somebody in a long time, that means everything is okay. A couple days ago, Melissa said, have you talked to your brothers? I said, what's wrong? Like, why, why would I need to talk to them? You know, I was so confused. And so our families and our relationships, they look different, but in each of our families, we belong and we are cared for. And, and here's the deal. If one of my brothers calls me and says, I need your help, I'm there. I go. Right, I already shared with you one time about my brother who helped me with a move. I didn't have to ask him. He knew there was a problem and he came. You know, a couple years ago, I, I bought a computer, and I don't know anything about computers. I'm computer illiterate. I bought a computer. My other brother's, uh, we say an IT geek, but I'm trying to be nice with family. He's an IT guy, right? He's a computer guy. I don't know how he knew, but he knew I got a computer, and he called me up and said, I know you need help doing this. Let me help you set up this computer. Right, because why did he do that? Because that's what family does. Right, that's what family does. And church, I want to share with you an example. I want to share with you why I love being a part of this church family. We have some of our brothers and sisters that are building a church in the Philippines. And they call back and said, hey guys, we we need help building this building. And you guys can look around. We're not a mega church, right? We're a small church. And so we talked and said, well, we could do five, six, seven thousand dollars, maybe help them with that. And we said, let's get crazy Let's say $10,000. We're going to raise $10,000 to help build a church in Tupai, Philippines. So we did it. We haven't finished counting the money yet, but I can tell you, as of yesterday, we're over $11,000. Right? Yeah, no, you clap for that. That's what a family does. Right? We have brothers and sisters that are in need. We have brothers and sisters, and we partnered with them in the gospel, and we help them. Far exceeding anything that we could plan or do. That's a promise from Scripture when we're doing God's work. We, the church family, we have the same Father. In his letter to Timothy, Paul tells him that we are God's household and that we're to treat each other like family. And in his instructions to the new church, Paul encourages them this. He, tells, he writes this to Timothy to read to the new church. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. I want to read it from the Bible. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. That's how we're to treat each other. That's how we are to treat our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I want to take this time to, to thank you as a church family. As many of you know, Gino is one of our brothers in Christ and him and his wife moved to Arizona and he's now battling cancer. He's now battling, going through chemo and we've been praying for him and you have encouraged him. Right? Yes, he's moved to Arizona, but distance 
doesn't separate brothers and sisters. Let me share with you a card that he had sent, not to me, but a card he has sent to the church. He said, Pastor, please share this with my brothers and sisters at Calvary. It's like he was listening to the message. Please, let me share this with my brothers and sisters at Calvary. I have received cards, text messages, emails, and calls from so many people at Calvary. Please let them know that I feel so loved. Also let them know that I appreciate their prayers. I just received my second round of chemo. Four more to go. I feel fortunate that so far the chemo has not been all that difficult. It's probably because of all the prayers. God bless all of you and thank you, Gino. Yeah, thank you, church family. Right? That's what a family does. I was recently in a, a board meeting and we were about to discuss a contentious topic and people already sitting there at their chairs sharpening their knives. Right? We're looking at the jugular of who the person is across the room that we know disagrees with us, so we're just going to assassinate them right now. And everybody knew that this was going to be a difficult discussion. Everybody knew this was going to be a hard time. And before opening up the floor to discussion, the, the chairman said, before we start, we have to remember one thing. We are family. Before we start, remember one thing. We are family. And then he said, what are we? And it was just that quiet. And he said, no, what are we? And somebody said, family. He said, okay, there's one person's family. What are we? Family. And then after about 10 times of him asking, right, there was a whole bunch. Oh, man, this is recorded. I got to be careful. There's some older gentlemen that may sometimes be grumpy that were sitting there chanting, you know, we're family. We're family. And it was one of the best discussions that we've ever had. That is how we now start all of the meetings for that, uh, the, all the board meetings for that organization. Those meetings take on a totally different tone as we discuss heavy topics, as we share our opinions with one another, as we have our disagreements. But we always end up encouraging one another. We always end up loving one another. We are always respecting one another. We all feel that we are loved by and protected by one another. Why? Because that's what family does. Right? Christ died so we could be unified. And it's in the same same way that Paul urges the church to remember. And I love when Melissa was up here worshiping and she started off, hey, we need to remember. Right? We need to remember. And, And oftentimes we go to the Old Testament text over and over and over again. God would say, do this so they remember. Right? Stack the stones. Tell your kids. Do this so they remember. And here we see Paul who begins it with, remember these things. Right? At the beginning of verse 11, therefore remember. Paul is urging the church. He's, he's urging each of us to remember these things that we may live with a greater sense of gratitude to God and a greater love for one another as members of his family. So church, what, what does that mean for the new year? What does being a part of the family mean for you? How do we apply this truth to our lives? Well, there's actually three simple things. One of them is you've never joined the family by placing your faith in God. That's where you start. Right? If you want to be a part of the family of God, if you want to be one of the building blocks, it's for those who believe and those who've placed their faith in Christ. 
And if you've been fighting for peace, if you're trying to earn joy, if you're trying to earn acceptance and you're just tired, God says, put your faith in me. Put your faith in me. I'll give you a, a peace beyond understanding. I'll give you a joy that's inexpressible. Right? And if you're not a part of the family, become part of the family. And you say, well, what do I have to do? Jesus already did it. You just gotta put your faith in Christ. You gotta put your faith that you're a sinner and that he died and he reconciled you to God. That's what we do. And guess what? You're a part of the family. So that's the first thing. And if you've never, ever put your faith in Christ after this service, I will be up here. I'll be back. You come find me. And let's talk about it because I want to celebrate with you. I want to pray with you. If you have questions, I want to share with you. If you don't want to talk to me, uh, make you nervous or I'm ugly or bad breath, put it on a card. I'll call you or I'll email you. But that's one of the most important decisions you'll make in all of your life. The second thing is that instead of working so hard to gain access to God, being so focused on your works that you can't enjoy your relationship or your time with God, stop doing that. Let me, let me encourage you. Christ has already done the work. Right? Stop trying to work. Don't be focused on the work. Be focused on the relationship. Be focused on who Jesus is. There's a thousand different things that you could do. I brought some of them up here. Let me encourage you to do a, a prayer journal you can do. Right? You could just start a, a prayer journal. These are things that I've done this year. These are just prayer books. Right? We just start prayer books. We start devotionals. They're not even that long. Right? We just spend time growing in God. Those are some things that you can do. Maybe you work through a devotional of, of peace. That was something that I did this year, just finding peace. Maybe you just work through a devotional. Uh, you work through a topic or something that you're struggling with. Maybe you want to just do a study on just experiencing God. Right? What's it like to be in relationship with God? There's something that you could do and spend a few minutes each day and praying through the Bible. This is a book that was so important. We pass this out to everybody because we thought, you need to be doing this. You need to be reading the Bible. Your prayers need to be in line with God's heart. These are things that you could read in just a matter of days or hours Spiritual disciplines for Christ. You can see the ones that have traveled with me that have been wet and in the rain and things that we are doing, but things to just grow and enjoy that time with God. That's why we, we do that. I'm not trying to work to get to heaven. I enjoy learning about God. I enjoy spending time with God. I enjoy time in his presence, and I want to encourage you to do the same. Maybe you want to need to start a reading plan. Some plan, any plan. Maybe read the Gospels this year, read through Psalms this year, read the, the New Testament, read, read the entire Bible, but remember, it's not how much you read, it's the quality of time you spend with God. Right? There's, nothing, there's nothing that says if you don't read through the Bible in a year, you're not going to heaven. It's not in Scripture. But it does say that they'll know that we're His by our love for one another. It does say we'll know that we're His if we follow His commands. And how do we follow His commands if we don't know His commands? People know us by our love for him, by if we follow his commands. And we do that by reading. Just spend time in the word. Spend a, a few minutes reading through. Get the plan. It's so nice now. There's so many apps on phones that you can just download and it will ding you. Hey, read your Bible right now. And you read it. And you spend time with your father. And maybe you join a Bible study or a community group. And you say, oh, it's so hard. I don't have time during the week. We, we've got three kids that are each doing two different activities, and so we don't, we don't even know which way is up half the time. I get that that's hard. Guess what? Nine o'clock, Sunday morning. Guess what we have? We have a Bible study. 
We have people that gather, they study the Bible, they're studying the minor prophets right now, Sunday morning, nine o'clock, you say, what am I gonna do with my kids? We got childcare. All right, we got childcare. I'm sure Eric would get here a few minutes early and make coffee. Guys, so we got coffee, we got childcare, we got fellowship, we got a Bible study. Man, enjoy the time in the presence of God. The second thing you can do is enjoy the peace that comes in reconciled relationship with others. Right? Jesus has already reconciled you with one another. He has torn down the walls of hostility. Stop trying to rebuild them. Just let the walls lay there. Man, be quick to ask for forgiveness from those that you have offended. Man, to be, be quick to forgive those that have offended you. And you say, well, why would I do that? Because that's what family does. That's what family does. Christ has already done the difficult work. Now we get to enjoy peace and fellowship with him and with our friends. We love one another as a family loves one another. And that you remember that we are family. Don't, don't make me do what the chairman does, right? We are family. Church, God is our father and we are family. And this year I want you to find the peace that comes with being part of God's family. Find the peace that comes when we are in right relationship with our brothers and sisters and when we're in right relationship with God. And already you're thinking, well, there's all these things I gotta make right. No, you don't. God already did it. God has already done it. Remember, you are a part of God's family, not because of who you are, not because of anything that you have done. You are a part of God's family and you are reconciled in all your relationships because of what Jesus did on the cross. You are made right. You are a child of God. You are a part of God's people because of what Christ has done for you. So church, church family, this year, enjoy peace by remembering who you are because of what Christ has done for you. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful as we start this new year and we're able to come together and we reflect back on the work that you've already done. As we start the new year, everybody has lists and everybody has the new things that they want to do and all the new things that they want to change and how are they going to fit all of these things in. And Lord, the most important thing that we could have is being in relationship with you and you've already done that hard work. Lord, we are so grateful for that. We would pray that as you transform our lives that you would continue to draw us near, that you would give us a desire to love you more, that you'd give us a desire to seek your heart more, that you would give us the desire to love others as you have loved us. Lord, we just pray in this new year we don't get worked up in all the craziness, but we find rest and peace and joy in simply knowing that we are yours. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And all of God's family said, amen.